Part three of Full Speed Ahead by Henry B. Beston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part three. Seven. The base. The town which served as the base of the American destroyers has but one great street. It is called the Esplanade and lies along the harbor edge and open to the sea. I saw it first in the wild darkness of a night in early March rain the drenching irish rain had been falling all the day but toward evening the downpour had ceased and a blustery southeast wind had thinned the clouds and brought the harbor water to clashing and complaining in the dark it was such a night as a man might peer at from a window and be grateful for the roof which sheltered him yet up and down the gloomy highway past the darkened houses and street lamps shaded to mere lifeless lumps of light there moved a large and orderly crowd for the most part this crowd consisted of american sailors from the destroyers in port lean wholesome-looking fellows these with a certain active and eager manner very reassuring to find on this side of our cruelly tried and jaded world peering into a little lace shop decked with fragile knick-knacks and crammed with bolts of table linen i saw two great bronzed fellows in pea-jackets and pancake hats buying something whose niceties of stitch and texture a little red-cheeked irish lass explained with pedagogic seriousness whilst at the other end of the counter a young officer with grey hair fished in his pockets for the purchase money of some yards of lace which the proprietress was slowly winding around a bit of blue cardboard back and forth now swallowed up in the gloom of a dark stretch now become visible in the light of a shop door streamed the crowd of sailors soldiers officers country folk and townspeople i heard devon drawling its oes and oz america speaking with yankee crispness and ireland mingling in the babble with a mild and genial brogue by morning the wind had died down the sun was shining merrily and great mountain masses of rolling white cloud were sailing across the sky as soft and blue as that which lies above fiesley going forth i found the little town established on an edge of land between the water and the foot of a hill a long hill whose sides were in places so precipitous that only masses of dark green shrubbery appeared between the line of dwellings along the top and the buildings of the esplanade the hill however has not had things all its way two streets rising at an angle which would try the endurance of an alpine ram actually go in a straight line from the water's edge to the high ground taking with them in their ascent tier after tier of mean and grimy dwellings all other streets however are less heroic and climb the side of the hill in the long sloping lateral lines a new gothic cathedral built just below the crest of the hill but far overtopping it dominates and crowns the town perhaps crushes would be the better verb for the monstrous bone-gray mass towers above the terraced roofs of the port with an ascendancy as much moral as physical yet for all its vastness and commanding situation it is singularly lifeless and only the trickery of a moonlit night can invest its mediocre albert memorial architecture with any trace of beauty 
the day begins slowly there partly because this south irish climate is such stuff as dreams are made of partly because good old irreconcilables are suspicious of the daylight saving law as a british measure there is little to be seen till near on ten o'clock then the day begins a number of shrewd old fishwives with faces wrinkled like wintered apples and air still black as a raven's wing set up their stalls in an open space by a line of deserted piers and peasants from nearby villages come to town driving little donkey carts laden with the wares now one hears the real rural brogue the shrewd give-and-take of jest and bargain and a prodigious yapping and snarling from a prodigious multitude of curs never have i seen more collarless dogs the streets are full of the hungry furtive creatures there is a fight every two or three minutes between some civic champion and one of the invading rural mongrels many is the homeric fray that has been settled by a good kick with a sea-boot little by little the harbour seeing that the land is at last awake comes ashore to buy its fresh eggs green vegetables sweet milk and a golden tipperary butter the filipino and negro stewards from the american ships arrive with their baskets and cans they are very popular with queenstown folk who cherish the delusion that our trimly dressed genial grinning negroes are the american indians of boyhood's romance from the cathedral's solitary spire a chime jangles out the quarters amusing all who pause to listen with its involuntary renderings of the first bar of strike up the band here comes a sailor and ever and anon a breeze blows in from the harbour bringing with it a faint smell from the funnels of the oil-burning destroyers a smell which suggests that a giant oil lamp somewhere in the distance has need of turning down after the lull of noon the men to whom liberty has been given begin to arrive in boatloads forty and fifty strong the patrollers distinguished from their fellows by leggings belts white hats and police bully descend first form in line and march off to their ungrateful task of keeping order where there is no disorder then scrambling up the waterside stairs like youngsters out of school follow the liberty men if there is any newcomer to the fleet among them it is an even chance that he will be rushed over the hill to the lusitania cemetery a gruesome pilgrimage to which both british and american tars are horridly partial some are sure to stroll off to their club some elect to wander about the esplanade others disappear in the highways and byways of the town for bill and joe have made friends there have been some fifty marriages at this base i imagine a good deal of matchmaking goes on in these grimy streets for the irish marriage is like the continental one no matter of silly sentiment but a serious domestic transaction all afternoon long the sailors come and go the supper hour takes them to their club night divides them between the movies and the nightly promenade in the gloom the glories of this base as a mercantile port if there ever were any and the queenstown folk labour mightily to give you the impression that it was the only serious rival to london are now over with the glories of nineveh and tyre 
a few cunard lithographs of leviathans now for the most part at the bottom of the sea a few dusty showcases full of souvenirs pigs and pipes of black bog oak belic china a fragile and vanilla candy kind of ware and lace kerchiefs made by the nuns alone remains to recall the tourist traffic that once centered here Today, one is apt to find among the souvenirs an incongruous box of our most breathy, forgive my newborn adjective, variety of American chewing gum. If you would imagine our base as it was in the great days, better forget the port entirely and try to think of a great British and American naval base crammed with shipping flying the national ensigns of waters thrashed by the propellers of oil tankers destroyers cruisers armed sloops mine layers and submarines even a busy dockyard clangs away from morning till night a ferry boat with a whistle like the frightened scream of a giant's child runs back and forth from the docks to the admiralty pier little party-coloured motor dories run swiftly from one destroyer to another from the hilltop, this harbor appears as a pleasant cove lying among the green hills. On the map, it has something the outline of a blacksmith's anvil. Taking the narrow entrance channel to be the column on which the anvil rests, there extends to the right a long tapering bay, stretching down to a village leading over hill, over dale, to tumble down Cloyne, where saintly Berkeley long meditated on the non-existence of matter there lies to the right a squarer blunter bay through which a river has worn a channel this channel lies close to the shore and serves as the anchorage over the tops of the headlands rain-coloured and tilted up to a bank of grey eastern cloud lay the vast ambush the merciless gauntlet of the beleaguered sea eight the destroyer and her problem about a quarter of a mile apart, one after the other along the ribbon of deep water just off the shore, lie a number of admiralty buoys about the size and shape of a small factory boiler. At these buoys, sometimes attached in little groups of two, three, and even four to the same ring bolt, lie the American destroyers. From the shore, one sees the long, lean hull of the nearest vessel and a clump of funnels all tilted backwards at the same angle. The air above these waspish nests, though unstained with smoke, often broods vibrant with heat. All the destroyers are camouflaged, the favorite colors being black, West Point gray, and flat white. This camouflage produces neither by color nor line the repulsive and silly effect which is for the moment so popular. Going aboard a destroyer for the first time, a lay observer is struck by their extraordinary leanness, a natural enough impression when one recalls that the vessels measure some 300 feet in length and only 34 in width many times have i watched from our hill these long low rapier shapes steal swiftly out to sea and been struck with the terror the genuine dread that lies in the word destroyer for it is a terrible word a word heavy with destruction and vengeance a word that is akin to many an old testament phrase our great destroyer fleet may be divided into two squadrons the first of larger boats called thousand tonners the second of smaller vessels known as flivers 
another division parts the thousand tonners into those which have a flush deck from the bow to stern and those which have a forward deck on a higher level than the main deck all these types burn oil the oil burner being nothing more than a kind of sprayer whose mist of fuel a forced draught whirls into a roar of flame all can develop a speed of at least twenty-nine knots the armament varies with the individual vessel the usual outfit consisting of four four-inch guns two sets of torpedo tubes two mounted machine guns and a store of depth charges these charges deserve a eulogy of their own they have done more towards winning the war than all the giant howitzers whose caliber has stupefied the world in appearance and mechanism they are the simplest of affairs the navy always refers to them as cans i dropped a can right on his head it was the last can that did the business imagine an ash can of medium size painted black and transformed into a ponderous thick-walled cylinder of steel crammed with some three hundred pounds of tnt and you have a perfect image of one now imagine at one end of this cylinder a detonator protected by an arrangement which can be set to resist the pressure of water at various levels a sub appears and sinks swiftly if it is just below the surface the destroyer drops a bomb set to explode at a depth of seventy feet the bomb then sinks by its own weight to that level at which the outward force of the protective mechanism is overbalanced by the inward pressure of the water the end yields the detonator crushes the bomb explodes and your submarine is flung horribly out of the depths almost clear of the water and while he is up the destroyer's guns fill the hull full of holes or suppose the submarine to have gone down two hundred feet then you drop a bomb geared to that depth upon him and blow in his sides like a cracked egg the sound of these engines travels through the water some twenty or twenty-five miles and there have been ships who have caught the vibration of a distant depth bomb through their hulls and thought themselves torpedoed i once saw a depth bomb roll off a british sloop into a half-filled dry dock the men scrambled away like mad but returned in a few minutes to fish out a can that had sixty more feet to go before it would burst it lay on the bottom harmless as a stone the charges rest at the stern of a vessel lying one above the other on two sloping runways and can be released either from the stern or by hydraulic pressure applied at the bridge the credit for this exceedingly successful scheme belongs to a distinguished american naval officer the destroyer has but one deck that is arranged in the following manner i take one of the thousand tonners as an illustration from an incredibly lean high bow a first deck falls back a considerable distance to a four-inch gun behind the gun lies another open space closed by a two-storied structure whose upper section is the bridge and whose lower section a chart room at the rear of this structure the hull of the boat is cut away and one descends by a ladder from the deck which is on the level of the chart room floor to the main deck level some eight feet below beyond this cut but one deck lies the mere steel covering of the hull guns and torpedo tubes are mounted on it the funnels rise flush from the plates a lifeline lies strung along its length and strips of cocoa matting try to give something of a footing the officers quarters are to be found under the forward deck 
the sleeping rooms are situated on both sides of a narrow passageway which begins at the bow and leads to the open living room and dining room space known as the wardroom in the hall in the space beneath the wardroom lie the quarters of the crew amidships lie the boilers and the engine room and beyond them a second space for the crew and the petty officers a destroyer is by no means a paradise of comfort though when the vessel lies in a quiet port she can be as attractive and livable as a yacht but heaven help the poor sailor aboard a destroyer at sea the craft rolls dips shudders plunges like a horse straight up at the stars sinks rapidly and horribly and even has spells of seesawing violently from side to side its worst motion is an unearthly twist a swift appalling rise at a dreadful angle a toss across space to the other side of a wave a fearful descent sideways and down and a ghastly shudder you need an iron stomach to be on a destroyer is a navy saying some indeed can never get used to them and have to be transferred to other vessels the destroyer is the capital weapon against the submarine she can outrace a sub can fight him with guns torpedoes or depth charges she can send him bubbling to the bottom by ramming him amidships she can confuse him by throwing a pall of smoke over his target she can beat off his attack either above or below the surface he fires a torpedo at her she dodges runs down the trail of the torpedo drops a depth bomb and brings her prey to the surface an actual incident this her problem is of a dual nature being both defensive and offensive Today, her orders are to escort a convoy through the danger zone to a position in latitude X and longitude Y. Tomorrow, her orders are to patrol a certain area of the beleaguered sea or a given length of coast. Based upon a foreign port, working in strange waters, the destroyer flotilla added to the fine history of the American Navy a splendid record of endurance, heroism, and daring achievement. 9. Torpedoed. If you would understand the ocean we sailed in wartime, do not forget that it was essentially an ambush, that the foe was waiting for us in hiding. Nothing real or imagined brooded over the ocean to warn a vessel of the presence of danger, for the waters engulfed and forgot the tragedies of this war, as they have engulfed and forgotten all disasters since the beginning of time the great unquiet shield of the sea stretched afar to pale horizons the sun shone as he might shine on a pretty village at high noon the gulls followed alert and clamorous yet a thundering instant was capable of transforming this apparent calm into the most formidable insecurity in four minutes you would have nothing left of your ship and its company but a few boats some bodies and a miscellaneous litter of wreckage strewn about the scene of the disaster of the assassins there was not a sign all agreed that the torpedo arrived at a fearful speed like a long white bullet through the water said one survivor honest to god i never saw anything come so fast said another where did it strike i asked the first speaker a fine intelligent english seaman who had been rescued by a destroyer and brought to an american base in a line with the funnel sir a great column of steam and water went up together and the pieces of the two port boats fell all around the bridge i think it was a bit of one of the boats that struck me there 
he held up a bandaged hand what happened then all the lights went out it was just dusk you see so we had to abandon the boat in the darkness a broken steam pipe was roaring so that you couldn't hear a word anyone was saying she sank very fast did you see any sign of the submarine the captain steward thought he saw something come up just about three hundred yards away as we were going down but in my judgment it was too dark to see anything distinctly and my notion is that he saw a bit of wreckage perhaps a hatch the next man to whom i talked was a chunky little stoker who might have stepped out of the pages of one of jacob's stories i shall not aim to reproduce his dialect it was a what about it order we were heading into falmouth with a cargo of steel and barbed wire i had a lot of special supplies which i bought myself in new york some sugar two very nice ams and one of those round dutch cheeses i was always thinking to myself how glad my old woman would be to see all those vittles just as we got off the sillies one of those bloody swine hit us with a torpedo between the boiler room and the thwart ship bunker forward of the engine room and about sixteen feet below the water line understand i was in the boiler room down came the bunker doors off went the tank tops in the engine room two of the boilers threw out a mess of burning coal and the water came pouring in like a flood let me tell you that cold sea-water soon got bloody hot the room was filled with steam couldn't see anything i expected the boilers to blow up any minute i yelled out for my mates suddenly i heard one of them say where's the ladder and there was poor jem with his face and chest burned cruel by the flying coal and he had two ribs broke too though we didn't know it at the time says he where's ed and just then ed came wading through the scalding water pawing for the ladder so up we all went never expecting to reach the top then when we got into a boat we heard that the wireless had been carried away and that we'd have to wait for somebody to pick us up so we waited for two days and a yankee destroyer found us yes both my mates are getting better though sister here tells me that poor ed may lose his eye sometimes the torpedo was seen and avoided by a quick turn of the wheel there were other occasions when the torpedo seems to follow a ship i remember reading this tale at two fourteen i saw the torpedo and felt certain that it would mean a hit either in the engine or the fire room so i ordered full speed ahead and put the rudder over hard left at a distance of between two and three hundred yards the torpedo took a sheer to the left but righted itself for an instant it appeared as if the torpedo might pass astern but porpoising again it turned toward the ship and struck us close by the propellers so much for blind chances one hears curious tales the column of water caused by the explosion tossed on to the forward hatch of one merchant ship a twisted half of the torpedo there was a french boat struck by a torpedo which did not explode but lay there at the side violently churning and clinging to the boat as if it were possessed of some sinister intelligence i heard of a boat laden with high explosives within whose hold a number of motor trucks had been arranged a torpedo got her at the mouth of the channel an explosion similar to the one at halifax raked the sea the vessel blown into fragments disappeared from sight in the twinkling of an eye 
and an instant later there fell like bolides from the startled firmament a number of immense motor trucks one of which actually crashed on the deck of another vessel meanwhile i suppose some hundred and fifty feet or more below fritz seated at a neat folding table wrote it all down in his log ten the end of a submarine two days before in a spot somewhat south of the area we were going out to patrol a submarine had attacked a convoy and sunk a horse-boat i had the story of the affair months afterward from an american sailor who had seen it all from a nearby ship this sailor no other than my friend giles had been stationed in the lookout when he heard a thundering pound and looking to port he saw a column of water hanging just amidships of the torpedoed vessel a column that broke crashing over the decks in about three minutes the ship broke in two the bow and the stern rising like the points of a shallow v and in five minutes she sank the sea was strewn with straw there were broken stanchions floating in the confused water and a number of horses could be seen swimming about all you could see was their heads they looked awful small in all that water some of the horses had men hanging to them there was a lot of yelling for help the other ships of the convoy had run for dear life the destroyers had raced about like hornets whose nest is disturbed but the submarine escaped we left a certain harbor at about three in the afternoon. Many of the destroyers were out at sea taking in a big troop convoy, and the harbor seemed unusually still. The town also partook of this quiet, the long lateral lines of climbing houses staring out blankly at us like unresponsive acquaintances. Very few folk were to be seen on the streets. We were bound forth on an adventure that was drama itself a drama which even then the fates unknown to us were swiftly weaving into a tragedy of vengeance yet i shall never forget how casual and undramatic the esplanade appeared a loafer or two lounged by the door of the public-house a little group of sailors passed a jaunting car went swiftly on its way to the station there was nothing to suggest that these isles were beleaguered nothing told of the remorseless enemy at the gates of the sea all night long under a gloomy starless sky we patrolled waters dark as the very waves of the styx the hope that nourished us was the thought of finding a submarine on the surface but we heard no noise through the mysterious dark and a long interminable dawn revealed to us nothing but the high crumbling cliffs of a lonely and ill-reputed bay where were they then i have often wondered when had they their last look at the sun had they any consciousness of the end which time was bringing to them with a giant's hurrying step at about six o'clock we swung off to the southward and in a short time the coast had faded from sight from six o'clock to about half-past ten we swept in great circles and lines the mist encircled disk of the pale sea which had been entrusted to our keeping we were at hand to answer any appeal for aid which might flutter through the air to investigate any suspicious wreckage above all to fulfil our function of destruction i have spoken elsewhere of the terror which lurks in the word destroyer we were hunters beaters of the ambush of the sea 
about us lay the besieged waters yellow-green in colour vexed with tide rips and mottled with shadows of haze and appearances of shoal we were on the bridge suddenly a voice called down the tube from the lookout on the mast smoke on the horizon just off the port bow sir in a little while a vague smudginess made itself seen along the humid southeast and some fifteen minutes later there emerged from this smudge the advanced vessels of a convoy now one by one now in twos and threes the vessels of the convoy climbed over the dim edge of the world a handful of destroyers accompanying the fleet almost every ship was camouflaged though the largest of all a great ocean drudge of a cargo boat still preserved her decency of dull grey a southeast wind blowing from behind the convoy sent the smoke of the funnels over the bows and down the western sky there was something indescribably furtive about the whole business the ships were going at their very fastest but to us they seemed to be going very slowly to be drifting almost across the southern sky we advanced as our report read later to take up a position with the convoy the watch always keen on the 660 redoubled its vigilance the bait was there the hunt was on now if ever was the time for submarines i remember somebody saying we may see a sub the destroyer advanced to within three miles of the convoy which was then across her bow the morning was sunny and clear the sun high in the north periscope port bow suddenly cried the surgeon of the ship then on watch on the bridge about three hundred yards away near that sort of a barrel thing over there see it it's gone now powerful glasses swept the suspected area the captain cool as ice took his stand by the wheel there it is again sir about seventy-five yards nearer this way this time it was seen by all who stood by the periscope was extraordinarily small hardly larger than a stout hoe handle and not more than two feet above the choppy sea full speed ahead said the captain sound general quarters i do not think there was a heart there that was not beating high but outwardly things went on just as calmly as they had before the periscope had been sighted the fans of the extra boilers began to roar the general quarters alarm a continuous ringing sounded its shrill call men tumbled to their stations from every corner of the ship some going to the torpedo tubes some to the guns others to the depth charges at the stern the wake of the destroyer now tearing along at full speed resembled a mill race and now the destroyer began a beautiful maneuver she became the killer the avenger of blood leaving her direct course she turned hard over to port and at the point where her curve cut the estimated course of the german she tossed over a buoy to mark the spot at which the german had been seen and released a depth bomb the iron can rolled out of its chocks and fell with a little splash into the foaming wake the buoy a mere wooden platform with a bit of rag tied to an upright stick wobbled sillily behind for about four seconds nothing happened then the seas behind us gave a curious convulsive lift one might have thought that the ocean had drawn a spasmodic breath 
over this lifted water fled a frightful glassy tremor and an instant later there broke forth with a thundering pound a huge turbid geyser which subsided splashing noisily into streaks and eddies of foam and purplish dust the destroyer then dropped three more in a circle around the first a swift cycle of thundering crashes meanwhile the convoy warned by our signal and by the uproar turned tail and fled from the spot great streamers of heavy black smoke poured from the many funnels revealing the search for speed in the area we had bombed a number of dead fish began to be seen floating in the scum by this time some of the vessels from the escort of the convoy had rushed to our assistance and round and round the buoy they tore dropping charge after charge the ocean now became literally speckled with dead whiting and i saw something that looked like an enormous eel floating belly upwards the convoy disappeared in a cloud of smoke little by little the excitement died away finally the only vessel left in sight on the broad shield of the sea was another american destroyer our partner on patrol the three o five was fitted with listening devices and she agreed to remain behind to keep an eye and ear open we were to have a word from her every half hour from twelve noon to two o'clock there were no tidings of importance at two twenty however this laconic message sent us hurrying back to the scene of the morning's combat signs of oil coming to surface what had happened in the darkness below those yellow-green waves i am of the opinion that our first bomb dropped directly upon her crushed the submarine in like an eggshell that she had then sunk to the bottom and developed a slow leak the six sixty returned through a choppy sea to the battleground of the morning we caught sight of the other destroyer from afar she lay on the flank of a great area defiled by the bodies of fish purple t and t dust and various bits of muddy wreckage which the explosions had shaken free from the ooze gulls already attracted to the spot were circling about uttering hoarse cries in the heart of this disturbed area lay a great still pool of shining water and into this pool from somewhere in the depths huge bubbles of molasses brown oil were rising reaching the surface these bubbles spread into filmy pancakes round whose edges little waves curled and broke end of part three